and uh, we've been having a great series recently looking at eternity. Just bring the volume, still seems a little loud. Could you just bring it down a little bit? Okay, and uh, what I want to do is want to open your Bible with me in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I want to continue from where I was when I'm starting another series. And uh, it's mainly because what, what I was sharing has, uh, I've tried to lift your perspective about eternity. I want to just use one more illustration that may help to do that. So the cameras can help with me. I just need one man to help me. Just one man to help me. Just one guy. Quickly, one guy. Lynn, you'll do. Oh, here's one. Ian. Here it is, Ian. Ian will, no, Ian will be great. Here he is, Ian. Okay, then. Now, I want you to watch this. And I'm only going to have to do, Ian, I want you to stand here. And I want you to take one step, not even a big step, about one foot. Just take one foot forward, okay? I right, just stop there. Your life in relationship to the millennial reign represents that one step that Ian just took now. And compared to the millennial reign, just go out about two and a half to three kilometers and you get how much your life is in relationship to what God has just in the millennium for us. So if you think your life is long, it's short when you compare it to the times and seasons and ages that are ahead. The Bible tells very clearly there's a millennial age when Christ will come and our life here is our stewardship for that age. Your life is so short, one step compared to nearly three kilometers. Think about that. So this life we've got is incredibly short. It's over very quick and it is your apprenticeship. But where you benefit from it is where, the, where you actually fulfill your apprenticeship which will be in eternity. We need to get an eternal perspective. Don't think short term and about what can God can do for me today and tomorrow. Begin to think what I can be in preparing my life for eternity. Because it, that's only the millennial reign. That's only 1,000 years. It goes on for ages and ages and ages and forever and forever. But at least that bit, you can get a perspective. One step, two and a half to three kilometers. You see the comparison. Let's make our lives count now. All the hardship now is nothing compared to what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? Gives you a bit of perspective. Thank you, Ian. Okay, open your Bible to, two, to, uh, to Titus chapter 2. And I want to just speak and start to share with us over the uh, next uh, two or three Sundays uh, as I can. I want to speak to us about this theme, zealous for good works. How many saw the, felt the women today as they shared about what they were doing? How, could you feel the passion in there and the fire and the love? That's what I'm talking about. Zealous to do something for God. And the question is, well, of course, we shared in Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, uh, 8 and 9 how all, the work to get saved has been done by Jesus, but after that he calls us to do something with our life. And we saw how Jesus has prepared for us good works that he prepared before we were born. And uh, one of the staff said, well, how do I discover what those good works are and then walk in them? That's a good question, isn't it? And uh, so we want to answer that question as best we can. It's given me a lot of food for thought. And so I want to just spread it out over a couple of Sundays because I have the feeling and sense in my spirit that God is trying to shift us as a church. And so for about six weeks we've been trying to gain eternal perspective so you begin to make your life count. Now we need to get some applications around it. So I want to just start to look over the next two or three weeks or whatever uh, at a series and we're looking at being passionate or zealous to do good stuff, to do good works. And so what I want to do today is I want to just lay some foundation around that. Uh, if I don't do that, everyone ends up running around doing this and that and striving and they miss the whole point. So I want us to get, first of all, a good foundation for this. And uh, so I'm going to outline, what I outline today 
is going to help you get perspective and understanding and we're going to anchor it around two key things you'll need to know. And uh, so I know this will be of great help for you, but let's just, we want to lay it out systematically. And uh, so in Titus chapter 2, let's read it. And uh, verse 16, it says, They profess to know God, but in works deny Him. So he's saying that there are some people who say they know the Lord, but actually the lifestyle or what they do actually denies that that's a reality. Now we go down here and we go into chapter 2 verse 14. Uh, Now he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every iniquity and purify for himself his own peculiar people or special people zealous for good works. He gave himself for us. He loved us. He gave himself for us for a purpose. So in these verses here we see that Jesus gave himself or he gave his whole life for something. Now you've got to ask yourself, what did he give his life for? Was it to just do something in the heavens? No, I think more than that. He gave himself for us that he might redeem for himself. So God, Jesus got something in this that he, re- he gets that he's looking for. And it says that he might redeem us. In other words, he gave himself to totally pay a ransom price that something could be established and happened as a result of that. So this is what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a special, unusual people. The word special or particular literally means to be distinct, unique, or beyond usual. So God, what, what the Bible is saying here is Jesus redeemed you so you would be a special, unique, quite different and unusual compared to everyone else in the community. And what makes you unusual and different is this, that you are, look at this, purified for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works, passionate to do something. And we're going to identify exactly what it is, the things that God wants us to do. And today I want to remove some of the difficulty from it by showing you it's not all spiritual stuff. And I want you to get very clearly two frameworks of what God is looking for you to do and then we'll begin to unravel it and show you. And then, ultimately then, it's up to each one of us. Notice what it says here in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and I want to affirm constantly. In other words, I want you to constantly be reminded that those who have believed in God, that's us, be careful to maintain good works. Be careful to do it. So he said, this is God's purpose, is a people who will be filled with good works, whatever that means. And he says twice now, he says in verse 8, he says, I want you who have believed in God, be careful that you maintain good works. In other words, be careful that there's fruit in your life for your Christian life and it shows up in what you're doing. Notice again in verse 14, he says the same thing. Let our people also learn to maintain good works, not only to meet uh, needs or problems or issues that people have, but so you may not be unfruitful. We'll come back to that right at the very end. So what God is saying here is it's it's his purpose that we be productive, unique, unusual, that we stand out because of all people in the world. We are interested in the cause of the poor and the needy. We're interested in the cause of justice. We're interested in the cause of the community. We are not about having meetings to get blessed. We are about making a difference in the community. And And so he said, let your light shine before men that they see your good works. 
If you have a look through history, the people who started the schools, the people who started the hospitals, people who did worse, it came out of revivals. It came out of the life of God overflowing to meet the needs of the poor, the oppressed, and the, those who have been treated unjustly. This is the foundation of our faith. And over the next few uh, sessions, we're going to explore that a little more clearly, what that means to you as an individual. Now, there are three reasons why it's important to maintain good works. Three reasons. I want to give them to you, so it's helpful to have these, and then we're going to look into two foundations. Number one, here's the first reason. The first reason it's important for you to be productive or have good works operating in your life or to, ha- or to be doing something that's of benefit to others. We just put it like that. Doing something that benefits others. Number one, divine design. You're designed for it. You'll never be happy in your life unless you do. There's no such thing as a self-centered, selfish life that's happy life. It's an illusion. We are designed... Have you noticed when you did something really kind that blessed someone, how good you felt? And you didn't have to... The joy that comes out of it is... Where did it come from? It came out of... Being aligned with heaven and doing what God called you to do. Ephesians 2.10, he has created us for good works. You're created not to just sit in meetings and pray and do stuff like that. You're created to be busy with your life and be very productive with your life. Everyone is designed for that, to be productive in some kind of way. Designed for good works. So number one, one reason we need to be doing things that bring benefit and blessing to others, number one, is the way God's designed it. It's part of his purpose. Number two... It's because something is at stake. And that's always a good stick, isn't it? Eh? It's always a good thing. There's something is at stake. Eternal rewards are at stake. I want you to look at two verses. Well, this one's round, found in Revelations 22, verse 12. Revelations 22 and verse 12, this is what it says. It says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to go everyone according to his work. How, how much clearer could you get? It's talking about the second coming of the Lord, and it says, When he comes... He has in mind rewarding or acknowledging what his people have done to make the world a better place. So teachings that cause you to trust your future, that somehow God's going to whisk you out of it, actually bring you into a place of deception and passivity and stop you becoming engaged in what God wants us to be engaged in. In, uh, there's many verses, I'll give you one more, Matthew 16:27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and he will reward each one according to their works. Nothing could be clearer. Your life now counts. Day by day, minute by minute, what you do does make a difference. What you do counts. The word reward, uh, most, most times Jesus uses it, the word is the word Misthos, M-I-S-T-H-O-S, meaning pay. That's not a bad word, is it? Meaning a pay or an acknowledgement of the services someone has given. So at the end of the week, you turn up at the, uh, at, at the office and you've worked for a whole week, you know that you will receive a reward, you'll receive pay. So the word that's translated reward really means something that you are entitled or out of God's benefit he wants to give to you because of what you have done. It's totally connected to what you've done, not your good intentions. What did you do? Okay, we're getting the idea? So number two reason is because eternal rewards are at stake. God wants, remember, you are on your apprenticeship now and so God is wanting to reward or acknowledge your success in your apprenticeship by appropriate reward in the millennium and for eternity. 
So if you're pretty poor in your apprenticeship, you can't be expecting you'll be promoted too much. Makes sense, doesn't it? And uh, so the third reason is that there's accountability. That the kingdom of heaven much, is not a democracy, it's a kingdom. We're the king and we're accountable to a king. So we're accountable. Accountability is a part of life. And notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says, verse 11, No other foundation can anyone lay which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on the foundation. Now, so to build on a foundation means you're starting to do something. So you have become saved by faith. It's been given to you. Salvation's given to you. Now the question is, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing to build your life? Now, coming to meetings is a help, but it won't complete the task of building your life. To build your life requires your own personal engagement with God, time in the Word of God, and intentionally giving yourself to learn and to grow. See, we, all of us are needing to learn and grow. I'm still having to learn and grow. It's, it's called a life journey. It's called being a disciple or a follower of Christ. It's a life of learning and being taught by Him and growing. But you, you can intentionally apply yourself to it. And to intentionally apply to yourself means we've now become a disciple of Jesus. We're letting Jesus help us in our journey grow and become more mature. And that will involve prayer. It will involve the Word of God. It will involve service of some kind because you can't grow in isolation. And you can't grow without putting your hand to something. So when we do something, when we start to apply ourselves, whether it's some part of building the church, some part of doing something for extending the kingdom, in, those, in that environment, God can grow us. We all need to be committed to personal growth. No one is beyond a group, because within groups, the best growth takes place. But it doesn't take place just in a group. Somehow it works out in your day-to-day life. You've got to be doing something. So tomorrow, if you do the same things you did today, probably you won't grow. Think about it. Think about it. So it's really quite important. So he said, each one's work will become clear. So right now, you've got no idea how good a job I'm doing. And I have no idea how effective you are for what God has given you to do. But it says that day will make it clear. So I'm not called to judge you for what you're doing. I'm called to inspire you to go further. See, and so it says the, the day will declare everyone's work for it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work what kind of work it is. So now we begin to get an insight. It's not just that you're busy doing something. There's certain sorts of work actually God will acknowledge and we're going to see in a moment some sorts of work he doesn't acknowledge at all. But everyone's work will pass through a testing. So you can fool me and fool someone else part of the time but you can't fool heaven who sees everything. God sees everything. So he's looking at all that you do and why you do it and how you do it. See, we can't always see why you do things and we can't always see how you've done it. We can't even tell whether you did your best or did a half job. No one really knows. We can't even tell whether you're doing all the things that God called you to do because this is part of your personal walk with God. But what we can say definitively is this, that God will test everyone's work and then it doesn't matter what you think, he will have a good look over what you've done and he will be able to test out your work. And the Bible says, if your work be wood, hay, stubble, it'll all go up and smoke. There it is. And it says, but if the work endures, you'll receive a reward. Anyone's work is burnt, then you'll suffer loss, but he'll be saved and even by fire. And so it says you can build gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So what he's saying is 
that in our life, we build our life personally and also we're involved, engaged in the serving of God. No matter where you are, there's no such thing as, uh, as part-time service for God. Everyone has a full-time call. Everyone has a full-time call. You are a full-time minister of God. See? And so what you do with your life to build your life with God and then to, to work to advance His cause, to reach people, influence people, touch people, that is your work. Your work involves what you do with your life. So for some it will be partly involve a marriage, it will partly involve a family, it will partly involve their workplace, for some it will partly involve the community. Every one of us has got a work that God has got us to put our hand to. And it varies from person to person, as we'll see a little in another session. Now God will evaluate how you did the work and what work you did and why you did the work. So he says you can build it with wood, hay, stubble, it will all go up in smoke, or gold, silver, precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones tend to be the things which God has formed on the earth under heat and pressure, and the other wood, hay, stubble is the stuff that grows in the earth that doesn't abide anything, it just goes up in smoke. It always speaks of humanity, human uh, motivations and whatever. And so it says, notice what it tells us then, if you work abide. In other words, when God scans your life to have a look at you, he is able to penetrate everything you've done and why you did it and how you did it, he saw everything no one saw, and he says, I see what you've done in secret. Welcome, well done, enter the joy of the Lord, enter into reward. Isn't that fantastic? But he said, there's also the possibility that you'll go up in smoke, or your work will go up in smoke. And he said, notice what it says here, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. So it is possible, it is possible, and the Bible speaks very clearly, that you can suffer the loss of the things God intended you to have in eternity. If any man's work be burnt, he will suffer loss. Will he be saved? Yes, he will. He will be saved. The Bible is very clear. He will be saved. Probably the best way I could describe it is like this, is you spent your life building a house and having done all and worked and spent this and that, and then one day there's an electrical problem and the house just burns to the ground. Unfortunately, you get out of it and you're smelling of smoke and your garments are burnt with smoke, but you're saved! But what is there? There's no house left. Your whole life went up in smoke. Whoa! Life is too precious to let it go up in smoke. Life is far too precious. You go over 60, it's even more precious. <laughs> isn't that true? That's the truth, isn't it? So there's three, so there's three reasons why it's important to maintain good works. See? Okay, now here we are. I'll look at the foundations for the works. Why don't you come with me Matthew 7.21? Matthew 7.21. This is a bit of a shock, but I woke up this morning and the Lord just was pounding this verse into me. I thought, oh my. So I had to change what I was going to do. And that's all right. I don't mind. And uh, so he gave me some better ideas than I had. That was very helpful. I like that. Very helpful. Okay, here it is. Matthew 7. Now you know these verse. Verse, uh, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I'll declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me who practice lawlessness. Now, here's the first thing is to see the context. This is part of Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's teaching his disciples and followers and he's talking about the culture, attitudes and values of the kingdom of heaven and what it requires to live as a citizen of that kingdom and bring heaven to earth. That's what this is all about. So now he's come to the very end of his message and he's about to draw some conclusions. 
And here's, first of all, a warning he gives, and secondly, a conclusion. The first thing he tells us is he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So to enter the kingdom of heaven is the key issue at stake. Now, notice this. He's not talking about getting saved. You have to understand that. If you try to approach it from the point of view about salvation, you're going to miss it altogether. Because he's saying, that's what he's saying. He said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he says, many shall say to me in that day. So what day is he talking about? He's not talking about the day he's talking. He's talking about that day. He's talking about the day of his return. He said, many, the day of the Lord. And so he said, many will say in that day. In other words, when he comes, there's a lot of people going to say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did miracles. And he will say, I didn't know you, you worked iniquity. Now that's a real hard thing to handle. So he's talking about to Pentecostal people particularly because they tend to focus on prophesying and praying in tongues and doing things like that. And uh, he's talking about spirit people really. Now I want you to have a look at me what he says there. He said in that day, so it's the day of his coming. Now what he's saying, he's a, many will say, Lord, Lord. Now these are obviously believers. How do we know they're believers? Because he said they prophesied, they work miracles and they cast out demons. You cannot cast out demons by methodology. Acts 19, they tried to copy the method. It didn't work. They were not saved. They couldn't do it. You can't do these things of prophesying and casting out demons and miracles in the name of Jesus unless you are a believer. So let's reread it. Many believers who've had a spiritual ministry and saw the supernatural operating will say in that day, Lord, Lord. And he will say to them, I'm sorry, I didn't know you, you worked iniquity. Now that's a hard one to understand, isn't it? Because we think, if someone is moving in the power of the Spirit, that means everything's right with God. No, what it does mean is they have faith for the miracle. It does not mean everything about their character and motivation is right with God. And you'll see in a moment that what God is looking for is the character and the motivation and the relationship with Him. So undergirding everything that we do for the Lord is firstly intimacy and relationship with him and response to him and the second is the motivation what is causing us to do what we're doing they're foundational so if I just talk to you about works and don't address this issue you just get into a frenzy of busyness and striving and you'll miss what's foundational for a fruitful life which is our relationship with him if you look in this you'll see very very clearly he said the ones that enter heaven are the, the, the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of the father so it's possible for you to run off on your own doing all kinds of great and good things and God honors it because he's a God who honors his name but it doesn't mean you're aligned with what he had for your life. Just because you're enjoying blessing in your life does not mean you're in the favor of God. You're blessed because he blesses everyone who comes to him. We are blessed because of what Jesus did. Now our responsibility is to align with heaven to what God wants for each of our lives. And for you, it's different to me. And no one can tell you what that work is. That requires personal relationship with God and connecting to God's destiny for you personally. Otherwise, you end up with things like, well, just follow the dream in your heart. Now, that's only a partial truth. If I followed the dream in my heart, I'd be fishing up in Walkworth. Isn't that true? Or I'd be way overseas somewhere. If I'd followed the dream of my heart, I'd be up in the Gold Coast doing something. In other words, there are lots of dreams in the heart, but it doesn't mean they come from God. 
In fact, actually, he's talking here. Notice what Jesus said. It's those who do the will of the Father. This requires an engagement with God to know what he wants you to do, and that will mean the end of some things you did want to do. It means the cross. It means you will follow him no matter what it is. You're laying down the rights to your life, and you're walking on what he's called you to do, not what everyone thinks is a good idea, or necessarily what you would like to do. Get the idea? And this is this, you're going to see this over and over and over again. So teachings on dreams and visions, we'll come to that a little bit later on the whole thing of desires of the heart. We'll get to that in another session, but you've got to get this foundation right first. Otherwise, you'll run off after all kinds of things and you'll actually waste the years of your life when you should be productive. Okay, we're all ready. Okay, so let's go on a little bit further. Getting, getting in deep on this one here. All right then, so what are the two key, key issues? Here they are. I will declare to them, now he says it. So I love Jesus. He actually makes it real clear. He said two things. I didn't know you. And two, you worked iniquity. So we just need to understand what they are. And one of the things in the Bible, if you're not sure what something means, go look somewhere else and see if it turned up somewhere else. Because if it turns up somewhere else, the chances are it casts the light on it that you didn't see in this particular passage. So when you look at it, I never knew you. Well, how on earth they do the miracles? What is he talking about? And workers of iniquity, they do miracles, work iniquity. How does that all work out? I'll just open up really quickly for you, and you'll see it just in a glance. It just... Which is something the Lord just dropped into my heart today. And notice what he said, I never knew you. That word know is to know intimately, to know as a friend. And Jesus brought people into friendship who first learned obedience. He said, I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know what his master does. He follows instructions. I now call you friends. So after a period of serving as servants, they grew into friendship with Jesus. So this is about friendship with Jesus. Okay, now let's just take a little bit further. The only other place that I noticed where this turns up, I never knew you, interestingly enough, turns up Matthew 25, 12 with the ten virgins, the five wise and five foolish. And remember the issue there with the five wise and foolish virgins, it, the whole issue, and we taught on this in depth, was intimacy with God. And the, they were all virgins, meaning they were all believers, but five were wise, five were foolish. The five wise prepared their lives and ensured they had oil and in a vessel. The five who were foolish made no preparation in their life. Were they all virgins? Yes. Were they all in covenant relationship? Yes, they were. However, five prepared. And the preparation involved the getting of oil, which is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Or putting it another way, they took the time and effort to spend time gaining intimacy, gaining revelation gaining insight from god they gain the flow of the spirit by a personal life dedicated and connected to the lord remember the five foolish ones said they said hey listen we give us some of yours they said no no we can't give it to you no 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 you've got to go and buy for yourself so intimacy with god you've got to buy for yourself there's no one praying for you who can do it for you we can bring to you the fruit of our intimacy you've got to develop your own and so number one is intimacy with God and you remember that he said to the, saint, the, the five foolish virgins he said very very clearly it says to them and this is what he said to them he said actually I didn't know you knock 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 let us in no 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 it's too late the season of opportunity is over there's a consequence of not doing this and so 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 the very clear one there is personal intimacy a loving relationship with Jesus where you're connected to him and yielded to him in a relation, it's like husband and wife. It's like a lover of my soul. It's becoming intimate with him and sharing my life with him and learning to surrender and talk over the struggles of life with him. We could do some things on that sometime. But so remember, 
uh, it, it, remember uh, um, Mary and Martha, how Mary got very, very busy doing stuff, uh, Martha got busy doing stuff in Luke 10, 38, and Mary got very busy listening to Jesus, and then Martha got all wound up with all her serving, and she's so wound up, stressed out, burned out, everything, she complains and gets bad attitudes, and Jesus said to her, Mary chose the good thing. Now, it's not either or, it's an issue of priority. So it's not saying that you shouldn't do something, it's saying your first priority is the relationship out of which the works flow. Jesus said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing. Now, we need to explain that, not today, but I'll do it in another session. What he did was he said, I am moved in my life by heaven's agenda. I do not have a thing of my own. I haven't come here to do my will. I've come here to do the will of the Father. I haven't come to just sort of... In fact, he wrestled even with it. The garden, remember him saying, Father, if it's possible, I'd rather not do this, but not my will, your will being done. Now, so, so the first thing you see is, remember what Jesus said at the beginning of this, uh, this passage. He said, to enter the kingdom requires you do the will of the Father. It, it, now, you notice that that may involve church meetings and church roles and may involve doing this and that, but actually no one can really know. The only one who can know is you if you're listening to God. Because how it outworks will be different for each person. So number one is intimacy. I need to be in relationship where I'm hearing with it, at the Lord. Now, if you notice, straight after this, he says, he follows it on and applies it. And he said, now I'm going to tell you a story so you can get it. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, you like the man who built on a rock. He doesn't fall over at the end of the day. The man who listens to them doesn't do anything. He said, well, that man, he's going to find his whole life, everything he's built will fall over at the end of it when it's evaluated and the storm comes on it. It's very, very clear. It's about hearing God and flowing with what he has for your life. Therefore, the responsibility of every believer is a personal intimacy with the Lord, listening, hearing, and saying, yes, Lord, what you want, that's what I'll do. Lord, what you've got for me, that's better than my plan for me. I'm happy to go along with your plan. Get the idea? The second thing is, he says, those who work iniquity, uh, you who work iniquity. So hard to think believers would be working iniquity, but apparently it's so. The word iniquity means to be without law or to be lawless or independent or literally to have no one speaking into your life. In other words, you do your own thing. Hello, church is full of that. Kingdom of God's full of people doing their own thing. And they think God's going to bless them for it. Well, he will bless the work they do to a point because he's a God who blesses. But will they give account? Oh my, yes. I will ever be found at that day. So the word there means literally to be without law. Now, I want to show you one other place I found someone who was caught out and actually confronted over this very issue. And then we'll finish with this. Are you ready? Just come with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Then when you see the story, this will help you understand what it means and then you get a better idea of what we're talking about. You'll see it very, very clearly. Okay, in Acts chapter 8. So the first is personal intimacy. Second is purity of motivation. Pure love for people. Pure love for the Lord. Pure love for people. Loving God passionately, listening to Him, responding to Him, loving people out of a pure heart, not trying to use them to get them to do something you want them to do. It'll come down to something simple like love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Here it is in Acts chapter 8. Now, uh, just bearing in mind the, the working of iniquity, in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, astounding the people of Samaria, giving out that he was some important one, to whom everyone gave heed, saying from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they gave heed to him because he'd astonished them with his sorceries. 
But then they believed in Jesus when he preached things about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And men and women were baptized. And Simon himself also believed and was baptized and continued with Philip and was amazing the miracles and signs. Notice the statement, he also believed and was baptized. Okay, now we'll go on. The apostles uh, heard that and so on and so forth. Now verse um, uh, 17, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power that I might, anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He said, your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness, and perhaps God will forgive the thought of your heart. For I see you are poisoned with bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, I want you to just get this, because when we look at that, we just read Simon the Sorcerer and we switch off, and it's nothing to do with us. I want you to just re-engage it and, 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 and have a look at it a bit. The first thing is, he was a person with huge influence and leadership in the community. Actually, everyone was listening to him. Now, how did he get it? Here's how he got it. He got influence with people by using supernatural power. He tapped into the occult, and he could get people astonished with what he did. And so, what they did then was, he, he, notice it says, he gave out that he was important. So what's going on here? Very simply this. He's a man who's rejected, a man with injustice and disappointments in his life. And in order to try and find a sense of purpose and significance and identity and value, he begins to access the occult realm to try and put out to people he's important. And so his whole motivation is to use the power that's available to build his own influence, reputation and standing with people. Now he gets saved. And he gets saved. He believed on Lord Jesus Christ and he was baptized. If you believe in your heart, be baptized, you'll be saved. There's no doubt about it. He was a saved man. Now he looks and he's a follower. Not only that, he's following the disciples. He's joined in the crowd and he's following. So you'd say he's a person who once was out there in the world. He got saved, got water baptized. He's now in the church and now he's following on, watching what God is doing and he's learning as he goes. Now notice what he does. He sees that when the apostles lay hands, power comes. He thinks... I want power. Let's just put it a different way. Oh, I want the anointing. I want the power that's on you. You can't believe how many people come up and say, Oh, would you lay hands on me and give me double portion of your anointing? I say, No, I won't. And I won't. I won't. Uh, and the reason I had a guy did that one meeting, he, he came up to me, actually did it three meetings in a row. One after the other, come up and said, I want the double portion. I want you on you, Pastor. Pray for me. Pray for the double portion. I said, No. He went away disappointed. He'd come up again the next time. Same thing. No. And the third time he came up, I said, no, 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 no. I won't. He said, why? I said, very simply. He said, first of all, if I had double, I'd have it for myself. <laughs> okay. Now, what I, really, what I said to him was this. I said to him this. I said, I've been watching you for three nights in a row, and I've noticed we've had hundreds of people in need Hundreds of people weeping, being delivered, ministered to. And I saw you with your suit and a big Bible wandering around. Not once did you ever put your arm around anyone, hug them, come alongside them, help them, minister them, comfort them, do anything to indicate you were interested in people. I said, why would God anoint you with power when all you're interested in is just promoting yourself? Now, this is what the issue with this guy was. He wanted power to promote himself. And Peter put his finger straight on it. And he said, you cannot use the power or the gifts of the Spirit 
You can't use the prophetic dimension. You can't use the flow of the Holy Spirit to establish your identity and make yourself very important. He said, I see what the real problem is. In your heart is a deep root of bitterness and you've never resolved it. And he said, I see also you're in the bondage of iniquity. You're operating without respect for God's way, God's principles, God's timing. You're just trying to promote yourself. And that word bond means this. When a Roman soldier had a prisoner, what they would do is they would put a chain on the Roman soldier's left hand and they'd, have a, and they'd link it to the prisoner's right hand. So the, the soldier, the prisoner always was linked to a soldier. And the soldier had the sword. He could just hit him any time, bring him back into line. So the word, that, the word bond is describing something like this. He said, I see that your right hand or right arm, the works in your life are thoroughly chained and in slavery to an independent, rebellious root in your life that comes out of bitterness and hurt. And you were just wanting to use the gifts and good things of God to promote yourself and to give out to people you're important. You're trying to establish your identity. And he said, there's no way you can have a part of this. So that's the only other place I found where that iniquity is, apart from the issue with Saul. But So get back to it again. Two things that are foundational for me to produce good works. One, I need a personal relationship where I'm listening to the Lord and listening to what he has to say. And two, the second thing is, I need to let God work in my heart concerning my motives for what I do. Otherwise, what I'll do is I'll just be like everyone in the world. And I'll use people to get me ahead. This is a chronic sickness within the body of Christ where people use gifts and roles in order to promote or advance themselves and fail to see that this is iniquity that will cost you everything. All gains will be temporary, but in eternity they will be seen for what they are and your reward, which only God can give, will certainly be lost. We need to let God work in our heart so that we have an authentic and genuine love and what we do is a genuine desire to serve. We give because we love God and we're so grateful to him. We want to overflow with a serving spirit and there's no agenda. And that is what makes the works we do different because inside them is no agenda. How many of you have had someone do something for you and after they did it and you thought that was wonderful, thank you, that was really kind, that was really loving... And then, before you know it, there's a hook in it and there was always an agenda in it and now the agenda comes out and they're pulling on you to do something. That just sucks. All the joy is taken out of the thing. You feel poisoned by the thing inside, manipulated by it, and you hate it. See, now, what he's saying is that the works we do, God will be honoured because there's something about them that's really fresh. They come out of relationship with Jesus and there's a purity of love and serving involved in it. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a great thing? So, so before we do anything on looking at what the works are that God calls you to do, this is the foundation to lay in your life. Number one, intimacy with God. Number two, let God work on the motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing to be seen a man? It doesn't cut. That's what this guy Simon did. He did it to be seen by people. So if I'm doing it to be seen a man, I'll only do it when the pastor's around or a leader's around. I'll be sucking up and making sweet sounds and kind of things like that and trying to impress. But we're not to impress men. We're to impress God with a right heart and right attitude. We say amen.
And just close our eyes right now. Just close our eyes. Just for a moment, I want to ask this question. Is there anyone here who's never begun this fantastic journey of walking with Jesus Christ? You know, the Bible tells us we're born into this life separated from God, without the life of God, without a sense of destiny, struggling to try and find things to meet what can only be met by relationship with God. Jesus came into this world and paid the price for the power of sin to be broken and for our lives to be free to come into relationship. But it does require something. It requires, one, we recognize our condition that I'm walking apart from God. That's the condition of sin. That Jesus has made provision by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And I'm willing to receive him into my life to give me a fresh start. And so I can become connected to heaven and begin a journey walking with God into my destiny.